Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all in family ministry. When I say that, what I mean is that my husband and I like to bring our kids along with us in ministry. Ministry is something that our whole marriage has been committed to the last 21 years and that our seven children take part in with us. And so right now on our podcast, I've asked my daughter Reagan to join me so that we can really walk this out, this thing that we're passionate about ministering together. So Reagan, if you don't mind, before we jump into the scripture, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Reagan. I am 18 and I love being part of ministry. I use social media as a platform to address countercultural biblical topics and talk about what the world has to say about certain things versus what Jesus tells us about it through scripture. And I address these topics to a large and growing audience of about 73,000 followers and try to walk with people my age into life-changing decisions that ultimately lead them to following Christ every single day. It's what I love and it's what I hope to continue to do. So I'm really excited to help talk about these types of things on this podcast with my mom. Okay, Reagan, so don't just leave us hanging there because that all sounds very interesting. Okay. How can people connect with your content? So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok. I'm very active on TikTok where I do a lot of speaking videos and addressing these different topics. My name across all platforms is the Reagan Grace. So you can find me on any of those. And if you have a topic you want to submit for me to talk about on my social media, you can leave it in my comments or email ReaganGraceMedia at gmail.com. Thank you, Reagan. We appreciate you being a voice that is countercultural for Christ in this generation. It is much needed. So I'm proud of you for that. I think it's awesome. So in this podcast, Step Into Scripture, we've committed this whole season to answering Bible questions that are submitted by listeners and viewers. And we've been dealing with a lot of Old Testament concepts in recent episodes. The book, Step Into Scripture, that accompanies this podcast was released a few months ago. So as people are starting the book, they're in the Old Testament. The book leads you through a chronological reading of the whole Bible in 365 days. So we're getting a lot of Old Testament questions questions right now. And the goal of this podcast and of the book, Step Into Scripture, is to demystify Mm -hmm. a lot of these Old Testament concepts that are confusing because they are shadows of things to come in the New Testament. But when you're reading the Bible through for the very first time, Mm -hmm. you don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. And so I think often people quit They don't continue reading the Bible when they get started because these confusing concepts that we don't understand the why behind them just derail us, and so we stop reading. So here we are welcoming questions about these kind of things so that we can lay out answers that will hopefully encourage you to continue on your journey toward biblical literacy by understanding the full Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. So this week's question is one of those weird Old Testament topics that Reagan is probably going to cringe a little bit that we even have to talk about, but this is what was submitted. Does God still require circumcision? Oh boy. So the answer we will find in scripture is yes and no. What do we mean by that? Well, Reagan, why don't you start us off and, and do us 
the joy of defining circumcision and the covenant of circumcision from the Old Testament. All right, so let's dig in. Um, circumcision, let's talk about what it is. It is, if you're under 12, please cover your ears, the cutting away of the foreskin on a male child eight days after his birth. It's an idea introduced and commanded in Genesis 17 as part of God's covenant with Abraham. So much about the life of Abraham is critical to our understanding of the Bible and God's story. So God chose this one man and his descendants to bring about his plan to bring humanity back to himself. Abraham's family is the focus of most of the book of Genesis. So in Genesis 17, 9 through 14, we read this. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring." Whether born in your household or bought with your own money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God established a covenant with Abraham, a sacred bond between God and Abraham's family. Circumcision was set as a sign of God's covenant and the distinctness from other nations this family was to have. This is one of the many things that we come across in the Old Testament that may seem confusing. Yeah. So the question is, why circumcision? While circumcision was a literal, physical practice required by God in the Old Testament, it also carried metaphorical application. It was a picture of purity and having your heart right with God. Being uncircumcised then meant impurity and unrighteousness. Right. Circumcision was a physical act that was to set Israel apart as a nation from generation to generation. More than 400 years after God established this covenant with Abraham, Moses was on his way to Egypt to deliver God's message to Pharaoh, and the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. So Exodus 4, 24 through 26 says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. Before I continue, if you guys don't know what a flint knife is, you need to look it up. Because in our preparation for this podcast, I was like, Mom, what is a flint knife? So we decided to do our research, and we looked it up. So let me just give you a look at what a flint knife is. Because I was shocked. I, You know, I think that because we are in a in a society where we've been accustomed to uh, high-maintenance medical practices, uh, we often forget what people in the Bible were subject to when they needed um, medical care. And so this is, this is a flint knife for anyone that doesn't know. I think that's all I'm going to have to say about that. Just, I'm not going to ask you to imagine, but I'm going to ask you to sympathize because <laughs> that's tough. So, so the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. So, why? Again, this is a picture of what was to come in Christ. 
belonging to Israel required circumcision. It was how you entered into the covenant family. Outside the covenant was judgment and death. Inside the covenant was grace and was life. And you could not get into the covenant without the shedding of blood. Yeah. So to add another layer to the foreshadowing in this account, let's consider Paul's teaching about marriage in the New Testament. And this is in Galatians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So now let's put, let's put these two together, circumcision and marriage. Yeah. How, what is the correlation here? Circumcision is a picture of entry into the family of God, through his covenant with Abraham, and it is how people were set apart as children of Abraham. But now marriage is a picture of Christ, the husband, and the bride, his church, which is the family of God, under a new covenant established by the blood of Christ. So Zipporah calls Moses a bridegroom of blood because she recognizes the family covenant established by God requires a shedding of blood so that they could live. So Jesus came and through his own shed blood provided entry for us into the family of God. No longer the Abrahamic covenant, but now the new covenant in Jesus. Right. And if we keep on moving through the Old Testament beyond this initial account you've introduced us to with Moses and God nearly killing him Mm -hmm. on the way to go deliver the Israelites, we find that as early as Moses' day, Mm -hmm. God is already starting to reveal that this idea of circumcision is a metaphor for something much bigger. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it wasn't absolutely a requirement, this physical act, but it was pointing toward something more than just a physical cutting away of flesh God wanted to communicate to us. So the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final sermon to the Israelites. And if you've ever read Deuteronomy, like... By the time you get there, Moses has been on this journey with the Israelites. These people give him such a hard time in the wilderness. You just feel so sorry for the guy. And then you come to Deuteronomy, and he preaches for like 30-something chapters. And normally, who wants to listen to a sermon that long? But for Moses, I think we are just sympathizing with him so much because of what he has dealt with, especially in the book of Numbers, Mm -hmm. that it's like, just let the man preach. He's earned that, Right. right? So this is this final sermon from Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, and he starts describing curses that are going to come on Israel because of their disobedience. And then when you get to chapter 30, Moses starts describing then a beautiful restoration that 
was going to follow the curses. So after Israel had experienced both blessings and curses Mm -hmm. based on their own obedience and disobedience, they were going to be dispersed among the nations before they would be later regathered into their own land, this promised land that God was giving them. So we'll read Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 5. Moses says, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from the nations where he scattered you even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back he will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors so it was at this point when this regathering of the people to the land happened that Moses says they would experience a spiritual circumcision. So here we're starting to see this is about something more than just a physical cutting away of the foreskin in the flesh. So Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, continuing in the same passage, he says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts Mm -hmm. and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Mm -hmm. All right, so we've already seen circumcision is clearly, obviously a requirement for entry into the old covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants, Mm -hmm. who are the Israelites. It was also given as a requirement before someone could participate in the Passover celebration, Mm -hmm. uh, that feast that they were commanded to remember from year to year to commemorate God delivering the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So circumcision of the heart now Mm -hmm. is referring to being in a right relationship with God. So you had this entry point, but it was just a picture of something more that God wanted to see accomplished in the hearts of Israel. The the physical act of circumcision was the initial entry point where they were added to this community that was essentially uh, something they were added to mostly by birthright in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. They were born Israelites. Mm -hmm. Foreigners could be added to the community, but they had to undergo the circumcision as well, kind of like what you described in last week's episode. Mm-hmm. that uh, Dinah's brothers mm-hmm. tricked the entire town into right. at Shechem. So, so true circumcision is about trusting in God and obeying his commands from an inner core of sincere devotion. In this book, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, Moses told the Israelites, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So it's really fascinating here how this progression of blessing, curse, dispersion and humbling for ancient Israel unfolded historically because we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the Israelites would enjoy God's blessings when they obeyed him, and then they would suffer from God's wrath when they rebelled against him. So their periodic flirtation with idolatry would eventually entrench itself in official policy, and it would become the practice of the kings, the practices that were legislated for the community. And that brought about these fearsome curses that we read about in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. All of those came true. And then eventually, two empires would come and devastate the Israelites. And at this time, they're now divided into two kingdoms, north and south. And all of them were going to be scattered into exile. And yet, 
in keeping with what we just read mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy chapter 30, their dispersion was not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. But instead, many would return from exile by the grace of God, and they finally at that time right. had had enough mm-hmm. of their idol worship. And it would be the Babylonian captivity that marked that definitive rejection of idolatry and recommitment to follow the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, prior to Israel's exile, God had appointed the prophet Jeremiah to preach a message also of condemnation and Mm -hmm. restoration, similar to what they're hearing from Moses in Deuteronomy. And to be spared, Jeremiah said, Judah would need to repent. And of course, the same thing is also true for us today. And the difference between the two outcomes we find preached in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah between condemnation and restoration for us in Mm -hmm. the new covenant is whether or not we choose to die to our sins and to rise with Christ, to pass from condemnation to restoration. Essentially, Mm -hmm. we need a circumcision. We need a circumcision of the heart so that we can participate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. I want you to listen to the imagery that Jeremiah uses to express this truth as he prophesies about what God is going to accomplish and wants to accomplish in Judah. Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. All right, now 10 verses later in Jeremiah 4.14, he says, Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? So, How is this accomplished? We're seeing a circumcision equated with a cleansing or a washing of the heart. That's this repeated picture. Circumcise your hearts. Wash yourselves. How do we participate in the resurrection of the new covenant that defeats sin, that Mm -hmm. brings the victory of salvation, and enters us into the new covenant family of Mm -hmm. Abraham With Christ now as our bridegroom, Moses, this picture of Christ, a prophet like Christ in the Old Testament, was a bridegroom of blood to his wife, Zipporah, and now Christ is our bridegroom, like you shared with us earlier, this picture of marriage. So what is that expression of repentance? What does it look like? How do we avoid Mm -hmm. the destruction that God promises to bring on his enemies, Mm -hmm. the same curses, basically, that Moses laid out for us in Deuteronomy and the Old Covenant? The New Testament answers these questions for us. The true circumcision was a circumcision of the heart. It would come when the returned exiles received a visit from God himself in flesh. Mm -hmm. That would be the ultimate method that God was going to use to cut away our sins, to spiritually circumcise Mm -hmm. us, all of us, even Gentiles, those who were not born into the community of Israel, so that we could be brought into his family. Right. So then we find this interesting parallel of what we read in Deuteronomy 30 in the New Testament, and it's in Acts 2 on the day that the church began. And in Acts 2, Jews and converts to Judaism from numerous nations return to their holy city, Jerusalem. And like we read in Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Yeah. When Peter preached the gospel message about Jesus to them, they were then convicted. So it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, 
brothers, what shall we do? And that's in Acts 2.37. Cut to the heart sounds a bit like circumcision, doesn't it? So God had given them a mind that understands, eyes that see, and ears that hear. They were ready to trust and obey, and they wanted to know how. So Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the new covenant circumcision. Yes. So like the prophet Jeremiah, the apostle Peter called out the sins of his countrymen, and he was just as direct as Jeremiah, yeah. explaining that they had killed God's son. So we find echoes here of Jeremiah's message. They needed to repent, they needed to change their thinking, and they needed to have their evil washed away. Likewise, the Apostle Paul used circumcision as a metaphor for cutting away the old self. Yeah. So Colossians 2, 11 through 12 says, In him, Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. As we read the story of ancient Israel, we see heartbreaking defeat and failure because of unbelief and disobedience. Yeah. But restoration was ahead, which was a new covenant. Yes. It's not a covenant that man could initiate or man could implement himself. It's only available through God's purpose, power, and his plan. But what we can do is ratify it. We can agree to the terms, which are complete trust and complete submission to God. Yeah. Jeremiah repeatedly pointed toward a coming judgment from the north, destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon, because of Judah's failure to hear and to respond. So Jeremiah 6.16 says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Mm. Today, the message remains the same. Repent and be cleansed. There are two destinations, yeah. and God has given us the freedom to choose our path. Right. So in his resurrection, we pass from condemnation to restoration. We can lead others to do the same, to repent and be baptized and respond to that call from Christ. Right. I love that you said that this new covenant that was mm -hmm. promised through Jeremiah that even Moses saw coming from a far distance, although it was a total mystery. Right. It was only going to be accomplished by God's purpose, God's power, mm -hmm. which is what that Colossians passage you mm -hmm. read points us toward. We are called to undergo a circumcision, but it's one not performed with human hands. So thankfully, right. no flint knife no flint on knife. the road, right? <laughs> it's one that only God could accomplish, that only God could perform. Mm -hmm. So when Jeremiah, this prophet we've looked at, proclaimed the word of the Lord to Abraham's family, which was the nation of Israel, mm -hmm. I want you to hear what he said also about other nations. So mm -hmm. I'm going to read Jeremiah 9.26, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness in distant places, for all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole household of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. So although God had this community of Israel mm -hmm. that he had called out, that people had entered into through this covenant of circumcision, this uh, medical procedure, right. flint knife procedure, performed eight days after their birth, here he is 
already leveling the playing field and putting everybody on equal ground because he's saying, well, these guys are uncircumcised, but the whole community of Israel, they're uncircumcised in their hearts. Mm -hmm. So no one's really getting the point of this in these Old Testament times because to be circumcised was more about obeying God and Mm -hmm. being in right relationship with God than it was the physical act, even though the physical act was an absolute requirement. So let's go one step deeper here. Let's understand the implications of being part of the family of Abraham, because Mm -hmm. this is not something that we probably think about too often as New Testament believers in a new covenant. We do not see the necessity so much of this physical kinship that meant so much to ancient Israel. But let's look at this. So the whole book of Exodus is a picture of what was to come in Christ, incredible shadows of the Messiah all through the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. And that's where we find the idea introduced that Israel was God's firstborn son. Mm -hmm. So when God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and deliver his word to him in Egypt, here's what he says, Exodus 4, 22 and 23, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. Mm -hmm. So here's this idea. Israel is the firstborn son of God. Mm -hmm. And then Hosea, the prophet echoes this in Hosea 11, one, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, when we get into the new Testament, the new covenant, we find that Matthew uses this Hosea statement as a way to introduce Jesus as the firstborn son of God. So I'm going to read you Matthew 2, 13 through 15. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Mm-hmm. Now, this is interesting right. because Moses is quoting what Hosea said and making it about Jesus. But Hosea wasn't necessarily talking about Jesus. Hosea was talking about Israel, the community of Israel in bondage, being called out of Egypt. But now Matthew repurposes this statement Mm -hmm. and shows us the fulfillment of what this whole thing was really about. Just like God had described Israel as his firstborn son, Christ now gets that title. And here's the beautiful thing for us, Mm -hmm. not just Christ, but also Christ's church gets the title of God's firstborn son. So I want to just make sure everybody's tracking here. To be a member of God's covenant family, Mm -hmm. someone had to be a child of Abraham. Mm -hmm. God called the family of Israel, who were the children of Abraham, his firstborn son. But now in the new covenant that replaced the Abrahamic covenant, Christ receives the title as firstborn Mm -hmm. son, and not only Christ, but also his church. Mm -hmm. So there are huge implications for us about being part of the family of Abraham because that now becomes our inheritance. So speaking about God and Jesus, here's what the Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 1, 5, and 6, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn son into the world, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. So that's apparent. We know that Jesus is called the firstborn son of God. 
But later in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, listen to what this same writer says about us, the Lord's church, new covenant believers. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Mm -hmm. So we now get included in this inheritance of Abraham, this family lineage, as the firstborn. Now, we've already shown that in order to be included in the community of Israel, physical circumcision was an absolute requirement. That was how you entered into the covenant family. Mm -hmm. It was so serious that God was going to kill Moses Mm -hmm. on his way to deliver Israel because he hadn't done it. Mm -hmm. Now, when Paul in the New Testament writes to the Galatian church, he makes a defense against a false teaching that is bleeding over from Judaism that works of the Mosaic law, like circumcision, like what God commanded Moses, could lead to new covenant salvation. And to the contrary, Jesus became the fulfillment of that law. So Mm -hmm. under the new covenant, we are no longer required to undergo a physical circumcision or to have that performed for our sons Mm -hmm. on the eighth day after their birth. Instead, Paul reasons salvation is found in Christ alone. Mm -hmm. No one comes to Christ or remains in Christ through physical circumcision because that was a term of the old covenant and no terms of the old covenant can save us today. Mm -hmm. So Paul writes in Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So our question today is, does God still require circumcision? In that sense, the answer is no. He doesn't require any works of the Mosaic law for our salvation. But I want us to consider this passage because rather than using this passage to point toward the inability of the old covenant Mosaic law to save us, Mm -hmm. which is what it was about, some take this passage to make the argument that we don't need to respond to the gospel in any way. And so I want to be very clear here, while no work can atone for our sins, we also can't have atonement Mm -hmm. if we don't respond to the work that God has completed in the way that his word says to do it. Right. So that's what we need to look at. God requires a response to the work of Christ because to enter the new covenant, there's something we do have to do. It's not physical circumcision, but what we do have to do is place our faith in Jesus Christ. If Mm -hmm. not, then we're saved by default, then we're born this way. This is not the old covenant community of Israel. And even in that community, there was still an action required. Mm -hmm. But we have to make a decision, place our faith in Jesus. And here's how scripture dictates that that is expressed through repenting or turning away from our sins, through confessing Christ as Lord, and through baptism. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes, again, Paul's denunciation of salvation by works is taught out of context to remove the requirement of baptism as an entry point into the new covenant. But what we find throughout scripture is circumcision was implemented to teach us about the entry point into the covenant that Christ was going to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Because even as circumcision is being presented in the Old Testament, it's being used to point toward Mm -hmm. something bigger, a fulfillment that was coming. And so Paul, in this same letter, where he is making very clear that no work of the Mosaic law, no physical circumcision leads to our salvation, Mm -hmm. 
Here's also what he says, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Right. Now, obviously, Paul is not contradicting himself. Mm -hmm. We're not saved by works of the law, and baptism is not a work of the law. Circumcision right. was a work of the law. Baptism is the fulfillment of it, mm -hmm. and it is not anything tied to the Mosaic Covenant, no more than repentance, no more than confession of Christ. It's a new covenant fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So Paul goes on from there and he launches into this whole comparison that further clarifies the dynamic that was foreshadowed in the family of Abraham that we're looking at. We actually get to belong to this now. And here's where Paul makes that very clear. He says that Hagar, who was the slave of Sarah, Abraham's wife, right. stands for Mount Sinai corresponding to the city of Jerusalem. And she bore children who were slaves and bound by the law. But then he goes on to say, Sarah, Abraham's wife, who was the mother of Isaac, the child of promise, she stands for spiritual Jerusalem and her children are free. And so the child of the flesh, Ishmael, uh, Paul says, persecuted the child of the spirit, who is Isaac. And that's a narrative he's referring to that you can read about in Genesis 21, 8 through 10. Just like those, he says, who seek salvation through the works of the Mosaic law, persecute those who find salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And this is also like the works of the flesh oppose the work of the Spirit in us. But we Christians, he says in Galatians 4, 31, are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We are now part of the family of Abraham. So Paul sums up this whole teaching and really the whole book in Galatians 5, 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So here we see Paul as he teaches truth about circumcision, standing on the full word of God, old covenant to new, in context, and he is using scripture and standing for this truth, even as others oppose him, because his teaching was countercultural. Right. It was certainly countercultural to the Jews, to this sect that he had come out of, where he mm -hmm. was a Pharisee, because he is saying works of the law are not what saves. Right. But he is still continuing to affirm mm -hmm. that faith in Christ, baptism into Christ, is a part of this new covenant so that we can be children of Abraham, that we are now among those who were counted as the firstborn of God because right. we are Christ's church. Mm -hmm. And this is relevant because today cultural Christianity still threatens true biblical teaching. Right. But when we are biblically literate, mm -hmm. because we are taking into account all the Word of God, not cherry-pick verses, mm -hmm. then we will be able to discern between divisive teachers, just like the false teachers who mm -hmm. were infiltrating the Galatian church, and true shepherds. And here's what we find as we take into account the whole Word of God, from Moses mm -hmm. to Jesus, from Israel to the church, from the old covenant to the new, from bondage in Egypt to freedom from sin, that the picture is circumcision, right. but the fulfillment is baptism. Right. Yep. And it's in baptism that we participate in new covenant circumcision when we're immersed in water, mm -hmm. like Christ modeled and commanded, like his disciples taught and practiced. Mm -hmm. And this physical act 
It is still a physical act, yep. like circumcision was a physical act, but it represents a spiritual remission of sins and entry into the new covenant. Just like physical circumcision in the Old Testament was about something much greater, the physical act of baptism today, still an entry point, still a requirement, and still representative of something much bigger Mm -hmm. than just being dipped into water and raised up again. Right. It is how we enter the family of God, how we become the firstborn of God, the church of Christ, and the creator of the universe Mm -hmm. then enters into this new covenant with us, an eternal covenant, so that we will always be part of his family. So Mm -hmm. just like circumcision marked the entry point into the old covenant, like Reagan shared Mm -hmm. in Colossians 2, 11 and 12, we draw our connection to baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the work of God. That's the much bigger Mm -hmm. picture being given here. And through salvation, we enter into God's kingdom family and his new covenant to receive his promises, which are the forgiveness of sin and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right. So is it required? Yeah, it is. A new covenant spiritual Mm -hmm. circumcision is still a requirement in our life so that we can be part of this new covenant family. Now, that's a lot. We've gone from Old Testament to New. And if you want to do more of this, if you've not already picked up a copy of my book, Step Into Scripture, I would encourage you to do that. Mm -hmm. That is the goal there is that all of these Old Testament shadows are unveiled and revealed so that we can understand the truth that God is communicating to us and that that can find application in our lives today as New Testament believers. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you back next week.